Thank you. Uh, I do want to introduce Dee Jones, who's uh, with me today. Uh, Dee is with First Presbyterian Church as well, and uh, he may get active at times. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the privilege to be here today. I want to begin actually by acknowledging you. Uh, I'm very pleased to, to have met, and actually I've known Jeff for several years, but I also have met several other people who are members of your church over the past few months, and I really appreciate having the opportunity to have met many of you. Uh, and I think of you already as collaborators in the work that we do in our community, uh, which is really about building bridges, bridges across socioeconomic boundaries, bridges that help us to enable others to be self-sufficient, and I'd like to say that perhaps this might be the best church already in building bridges in our community, and I acknowledge you and applaud you for that. Can everybody hear me okay? I'm not sure the sound is working. Okay. So, I acknowledge we already have a partnership, and I thank you for that. And uh, each time uh, I am with people, uh, I never know for sure how things are going to go. So uh, my intention is always to make a contribution. And if we fall short, I ask for your forgiveness. So thank you. So I had the privilege of working at Volunteers in Medicine for almost seven years. And uh, one of the things that really stuck for me at Volunteers in Medicine was the vision of Volunteers in Medicine which really could be the vision for any church in our community. Um, and what really catch, catches me about our vision, and I think I might take this off if that's all right. Can you hear me okay if I take this off? Because I don't think it's working right. So in particular, what stands out for me is the healing and hope message. The healing and hope message. And in particular, uh, healing and hope, hope was not just about the patients that were served. It actually was a, an experience that everyone who came to Volunteers in Medicine experienced. The volunteers, the volunteer physicians, the volunteer nurses, the community volunteers, and th those of us fortunate enough to be staff. Uh, I, too, was touched by that vision and the realization of that vision and the work that we do. So I do have a, a few questions to ask you. Can a community social welfare system be transformed by people of faith, people like you and I, without any changes in the federal and state laws that govern the welfare system today? I heard a yes in the audience. Can you and I build meaningful, empowering relationships that cross socioeconomic boundaries? In fact, you guys are already doing that. Can we build a broad-based community-wide initiative And can we take ownership for and have great pride in the system uh, in our community, in our social welfare system? Okay. So a little bit about me. I'm a Christian. And, uh, when I <laughs> and when I got out of college, it just seemed like the logical thing for me to do with my life was to, was to somehow exp have my 
my work be an expression of my faith. I happened to work for state government, so what I learned how to do in state government is I learned how to wear my faith like my underwear. I knew I had it on, but the people that I was talking with, you know, we were not allowed to uh, share our faith. However, we could share the values that come from our faith. Um, I served as a, as a county director in Montgomery County for a period of 18 years, and my last eight were the most extraordinary. And what made them the most extraordinary was eight years before I left there, I thought I pretty much accomplished all I had to accomplish there. And I was walking back from a uh, Rosalind Bakery with, with a bag of goodies, and I was walking back, and I used to have this bounce in my step as I walked along. And all of a sudden, it was like somebody dropped a brick off the building and it hit me on the head because I suddenly realized here I was feeling like I was successful and ready to leave this job and go do something else with my life. And it suddenly dawned upon me that this vision I had when I first became a county welfare director, I had given up on it without ever trying to bring it, in, bring it in, into reality. And the other thing that occurred to me at the time is I had gone to graduate school. I was in the process of going to graduate school and getting special training in highly effective results-oriented psychotherapy. And I was finding myself looking at highly effective results-oriented welfare as well. Um, and so what I, what I had was a vision of a system that truly worked for everyone and was one that involved clients, taxpayers, government, and we initially called ourselves a think tank, but really we were an action tank. And then about two years ago, a little over two years ago, it was like I got hit by another brick in the head because I uh, was once again felt called to do something in this domain, and here I am. So I do need a couple of volunteers to stand up, people who have not heard me talk before, just two people, any two, and step on forward here. You guys are going to be special participants here. What we're going to do, we're going to wear, each of you gets a pair of magic glasses. Now, be careful. These magic glasses were not made for adult heads, so you've got to be a little careful when you put them on. But these are, in fact, magic glasses. So what we're going to do is... Uh, how do, they, how do they look? They look pretty good? Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share something on the screen. And the first screen that I share, you, the first thing you you're going to read the first, what you see in this first triangle, and then when we get, I'll go to the second slide, and, we'll, and you'll, you will say out loud what you see in the second one. And again, they're looking through these magic lenses. You won't be able to see what they can see. Are you ready? So we're going to look here at the screen. Okay. And here we go. So just say, read out loud what you read, one, one at a time. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Ready for the next one? Very good. Okay, let's give them applause, everybody. You guys can take off those glasses now. Now, who saw something that they didn't see? What did, what did you see? Oh, Yeah. It says Paris in the, the spring. Okay, and what about the other one? Once in a, a lifetime. Isn't that interesting? You guys did great. Thank you. You can have a seat. So what in the world has that got to do with our message? And to, and to answer that question, I need three more volunteers. Three more. Three more volunteers. Come on, come on, come on. There's one. couple more. couple more. There's two. We need one more. What? One more volunteer. Okay, come on up. Okay, so once again, we're going to put on the magic glasses. 
And what we're going to do is an artistic metaphor for what's wrong with our welfare system in our country today, not just in Indiana, not just in Bartholomew County, but the entire country. So what I want you guys to do is form an equilateral triangle, and that means an e equal sides, equal distance. Now, I need to give you something to wear here. We need another prop. This is, this is a prop that each of them is going to wear. One of them represents the general public. One of them represents government. And one represents the clients, the people that are served by the government system. Okay? So I want you to take a finger and point a finger at each of the other two. And I want you to take turns scowling back and forth at each other. Scowl back and forth. So this is an artistic metaphor for what's wrong with our system today as it exists in this county, in this state, and in this country. Okay, now, you guys aren't scowling very well. Uh, that's getting a little better there. Okay, this is great. Thank you very much. You guys can, can take that silly stuff off and have a seat. So what I want to do now, though, is I want to talk a little bit about what in the world did, did that represent. So let's start off with the general public. general public was pointing a finger at clients, people that receive, receive assistance. Now, what do you suppose some of their critical judgments are for the people that are receiving assistance? Why can't they just get a job? Okay, great. What else? Huh? Moochers. Excellent. What else? Lazy. Freeloaders. You guys get the hang of it. What else? Not trying hard enough. You guys get this pretty well. Okay, now we're going to move on. And what about, well, what about the general public's view of government today? <laughs> Okay, you could say same things, but what else? <laughs> you could say everything the same, right? <laughs> well, we're not, but I'm talking about what are the critical judgments that you know that are out there, that exist? Huh? They're out of touch. Excellent. What else? W wasteful, overstaffed, overpaid, understaffed. All about power. In fact, who, whose interests do they represent? It's not the people, is it? It's their own. And are they competent? Not competent. Huh? What are they, do, are, I'm talking about the critical judgments of the general public. Do they, look at, do they look at people that serve government, work for government as being competent? In fact, I, I can tell you once that I got to know an attorney pretty well. And he thought he was paying me a compliment one day. And he told me, you know, you could have been, a, you could have been an attorney. <laughs> he thought he was paying me a compliment. And he really meant that because what he, what he was really saying was, in my view, people that work for government aren't capable of being attorneys. But, you know, you're different. You, you actually, you could. <laughs> so what about clients' views of the general public? What are some of the critical judgments they have towards the general public as a whole? A bunch of question marks. Okay, what else? Do, do they think the world's fair? Okay. They don't understand. Yeah. Do they care? Do, do, they, do they think that the general public cares about them? No. They're critically judgmental. Yeah. Now, what about the client's views of, of government? 
Well, some would say helpful, but actually when you start getting into the critical judgments, people that work for government are not all that different than people in the community as a whole. There's a lot of critical judgments that people pass. So you could say that, that the problem, what's wrong with the system today is we've got a whole bunch of people that have a whole bunch of critical judgments, and they think those critical judgments are true, and because they think they're true, they don't do anything about it, and so things kind of stay the status quo. Okay? You could say we have a quagmire. So these are quotes from people that were success stories. They were featured in the newspaper. So these are people that, are, that were making it in the world, and they were talking about some of the judgments they had experienced from the general public. Okay? Now these are, again, people, people who were success stories talking about how did the community get in the way. It's hard to believe in yourself when many people are critically judgmental people on welfare. I felt no one really wanted me and that my opinion didn't count. So there's two ways that people react to being critically judged in the world, two common ways. I mean, there's always a, there's an exception that, that responds differently, but the common ways that people react are the most common is a withdrawal, a depression, a, a lowering of one's self-esteem self and self-worth. And then the other common way, but not as common, but it's the ones that give the whole system a bad name, and those are the ones that walk around with a chip on their shoulder. They get angry, resentful, hostile. You look at them wrong, and they think you're another one that's critically judging them, and they'll be in your face. And so they're the ones that give the system a bad name, but really they're reacting to how they're treated in the world. They're just not reacting in a very functional way. Does that make sense? So the interesting thing about government is really government's a bunch of people too. And we're not all, the, the government, when it looks at how they look at the clients, they're really not all that different than the general public as a whole. In fact, you could say that the general public influences the people that work for government's perceptions, and the people who work for the government influence the perceptions of those, the general public. And there are some examples of some quotes from a, a survey that was done a few years ago. In fact, it was done in 1990, so it's actually quite a few years ago. So you could make, it, you could make a case, well, you know, this, this was true in 1990, but it's not true today, is it? Well, that's a very good question. So let me just go back a little bit further in time and look at what they were saying in 1957. This came from the American Public Welfare Association, what uh, comments about what, what kind of changes were needed for the system. So from 1957 to 1990, did things really change? Didn't they kind of look the same? And is it really not true today? that still this would be a, a, a difference maker. So there's a few uh, biblical passages that speak to me in this area. One is judge, and, judge not and you shall not be judged. Another is Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm talking about here and now today, those that pass critical judgment on others, they take no ownership for what they're doing and the effect that it's having on those that they're judging. They do it, and they think they're reflecting the world around them. They think they're seeing the way it is, when in fact what they're doing is, is they're having an effect that's not what they really want. And the other thing is we, that we say frequently is, and forgive us our sins, because we all know that we sin. However, we don't always know in the ways in which we sin. There, so there is a, a gentleman, an author by the name of Jose Aguiles, and he once said the failure of Christian civilization or any other has been in its inability to live by the example of its teachers. 
So you could say if we just brought more Christian values to life in our communities, in our country, care, compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, and not judging others, that we might, make, we might come a long ways in making a difference. And by the way, there are, there are probably many people here that have never critically judged anyone else or maybe no one on public assistance, okay? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> However, unless you are someone who has befriended someone, and reached out like your church has and brought people into your church from the other side of the tracks, then they really don't get that there's people out there that think differently and that do really do care. And it's people like you that open up your doors to the community where you live that make a difference in the world by the way in which you treat one another. So this is a frog. That's a pot of water. And... The water is on. And what they say is if you, t if you put a frog in a pot of water and you turn the heat up slowly, the frog, what will the frog do? The frog will actually be cooked because the frog does not realize that they're in water that's getting hotter. And if they don't jump out, they're going to die. In a similar way, though, we're a lot like that frog because today, well, I'll go to the next slide. And, and, we'll talk, and we'll talk a little more about how we're like that frog. Now, this is where I may need some technical assistance here, but I'm going to, there's a little short clip we're going to see. Well, we'll make that big. What can I do for you today? I would like to raise my debt limit. Excuse me? My debt limit, I'd like to raise it. Because the last time I checked, Mr. Smith, you were in serious debt. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. I think we should raise that limit. Yeah, it says here you're $140,270 in debt. Right, so I figure we should raise that limit to about 170000 I just bought a 60-inch flat screen. Have you ever been to Australia? No. Leaving tomorrow, mate. You should check it out. Great parasailing. Do you have some new income that I don't know about? Uh, no, still making about twenty-one grand a year. Okay, and are you still spending thirty-eight thousand dollars a year? That's what it says. So you're adding seventeen thousand dollars a year in debt. Wow, is that what it comes out to? Debt limit going up. Ding. Have you made any cuts in your expenses? Oh, of course, yes. Uh, my wife and I cut $380 out of our annual budget. It's $380. Brutal. Huh. Okay, so you're, you're, you're making, you're adding, okay, so you're adding $17,000 a year to your $140,000 in debt, and you cut $380. Well, you say it like that, it makes it not sound like a lot. Hey, maybe you should think about generating some new income. Maybe a new job. Maybe ask for that raise. Oh, asking for that raise. That's not, I'm not comfortable. That's an awkward conversation. I, I, I've always been able to raise my debt limit. Yeah, well, th this is a little different. Well, how? We're in the middle of a recession, and your credit rating will plummet if you continue to go along this path. I almost had it. You don't see how bad this is, do you? I cut my budget by $380. Are you kidding? I'm sorry, Mr. Smith. We can't help you. Just a little. I'm 
And then, sorry. My wife is going to lose it. I mean, $380 was bad enough. I mean, this is going to end our marriage. We stopped talking to each other for a month. The baby was totally freaked out. Wait. You have kids? Yeah. Yeah. Sign there. All right. Our kid's a blessing. I mean, she's got plenty of time to deal with all this, right? Absolutely. Are we all set? You're all set. All right. Let's go, kiddo. We got to meet Mommy at the car store. Here you go. I think this is yours. Thank you. Enjoy. Thanks. So we're a little bit like this frog when you look at how we are living in our country today, living beyond our means, and we think we can keep going that way. So, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke 6, 20-23. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, for those of you that have been poor, and I know there's some in the, in the room, you know, is your experience here on earth, does it feel like you're blessed on earth? Does it feel like blessing here? And those among us that are meek, does it feel like they are blessed? And thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does it really feel like on earth that people are blessed? Now here, this is a governor. This is a person that used to be on assistance. This is a person that was on, uh, on assistance and working on education. This is another person on assistance working on education. This is a gal who I used to mentor. At the time, I don't think she was on assistance anymore, but she used to be. And do you think that when a governor speaks publicly and puts his hand on somebody's shoulder, you think that's, that's an uplifting experience? So you could say at least for this moment, in, at a moment in time, for these folks that were in the room, that they, in fact, did feel an uplifting experience on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is the mayor of Crawfordsville, Indiana, a few years ago. This is a young man on public assistance. They formed a relationship, and that relationship lasted for five years while I knew the two of them, and it probably lasted beyond that, but I lost touch with them. And what I know is that by the mayor being the mentor for this young man, and forming a relationship that lasted over time, over the course of the years that I knew this young man, he went from being someone on public assistance to someone, at the last I knew of him, he was working in a factory, man, or actually supervising a line in a factory, and he was in a rock and roll band on weekends. He'd really had adopted a different lifestyle. Now, this is a, we, we offered two-week work experiences in business and industry. It was paid for by business and industry. And do you think that, that when you get an experience in, in business and industry working, does, does it not feel like you are, in fact, chosen at that moment if you happen to be someone who is coming out of impoverished circumstances? So it's possible. Uh, we're here now. We are now in Columbus, Indiana, and we're at a program called Wheels to Work. This guy right here is Tony Spackholtz. And he was a used car dealer in, in uh, Columbus. He, he's now closed. But there are a period of maybe close to 10 years where he was the car dealer for the Wheels to Work program in Bartholomew County. And when somebody needed a car and, and was determined to, be, to qualify for a car for the, through the program, which means that they were trying to become self-sufficient and they needed transportation in order to maintain employment, 
then uh, he would show them the vehicles on the lot, and they would be able to actually pick a car, just like you and I would pick a car when we go to a lot tomorrow if we went shopping. Now, this is Impact Forge. This is somebody receiving a, a car from Impact Forge, and then there's some people that were involved in that. Do you think she felt blessed? I've been trained in a different way of looking at the world, that what we know, what we think, what we believe filters what we see, as you were going through those lenses we were looking through. And it's actually possible to see the world differently. Um, you could say that knowledge fits reality like a key fits a lock. And if you don't like the first take, it's possible to have another take. And that's really what the different way of looking at the welfare system is, is a different way of looking at the system that I've talked about than the way people typically do. Um, we do tend to live our lives, though, that the way we see it is the way it is, and that our knowledge and our beliefs and our perceptions about the world around us are a true reflection of, of the world. And for, for most of the time, it works really well for us, and for most of the time, it works really well for our families. And when it comes to making a difference in the world, it can be helpful sometimes to be willing to shift your lenses, to look at things differently. Oops. So, Dia, you ready for the run? So I, I used to go to Florida and visit my dad. It's been a few years ago, but I was in my 30s, and I was a young man, and I was a runner. And I would go out. My, my dad was, was in his 60s. He was a slow runner, but I would go out and jog with him. And then one day my dad wasn't feeling well, and I was out jogging, and I ran into a, a guy who was a retired guy. But I said, hey, you mind if I jog with you? Sure. Okay, so we started jogging along together, and the first thing I noticed, I mean, he was an old guy. He was retired, but the first thing I noticed, I'm really picking up my pace because this guy can really run. And so I'm running, and, and the next thing I notice, I'm a hard time. I, I, can't, I can't keep up with him, but I was trying to so hard, and I was, I was getting out of breath. <laughs> and, yet I, and yet he was an old guy, and so I wasn't going to let go. So I ran with him for two miles. And then we got close to those two miles. I was getting a really bad side ache. I could hardly stand it, but I, I wasn't going to let this old guy. But I, but I noticed as I started looking at him, you know, he, he's, he looks like an athlete. He looks like an elite runner. <laughs> he doesn't have an ounce of fat on his body. So I find out he's 74 years old, and I asked him, how fast, how fast are we running? I'm going about a six-minute mile. I'm a little sick, so I'm trying to get back into shape. <laughs> so it turns out, thank you, thank you, D. It turns out this guy was 74 years old, and he ran marathons, and he would win for his age group in the state of Iowa, and six minutes was slow for him, but I'd never ran six minutes before in my life, <laughs> except for those two miles. So... You could say we all live our life like we live in a box, and that box represents what's possible for us. And for this gentleman at age 74, there are not many people age 74 that think they can do what he was doing. I can tell you I'm 61, and I don't think I could do it today. But what he was pointing to is the possibility of what's possible. And we all have a capacity within us to be more than what we've been up until now in our lives. We all can push ourselves through the box of whatever it is that we're limiting ourselves to. And in fact, you could say what I'm doing by being here today is I'm pushing back out of a box again for myself personally. Because I think we can transform a welfare system in our state and our country. So one of the keys of a different way of looking at the world is, is looking, at, looking at things through an empowering lens. You can think about whenever you're having a conversation with anybody, D, 
Dee and I are having a conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm having, no, we don't need to run this time. <laughs> but we're having a conversation. And when I speak, one of three things happens when he's listening. Either I'm lifting him up, I'm pushing him down, or I'm having no effect. Those are the three options. Whenever you have a conversation with anybody, those are the three options. Either you're lifting them up, you're pushing them down, or you're having no effect. So I choose as often as I can to have an empowering effect, effect on folks. That first statement? Okay, thanks, Dee. So I invite you to look at the world in the same way that I do, which is all about our capacity to make a difference in the world. You could say we all are like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You guys have all seen the Wizard of Oz, haven't you? She wore the ruby slippers, and at the end, actually, it wasn't the ruby slippers at all. She always had the ability, but if, if she would have told it with anyway. We all have the ability. We all have a capacity like Dorothy to be more than what we've been up until this moment. And I don't know, I'm going to reveal, I'm not a young guy, but some of you have seen Highway to Heaven. Yeah. So Highway to Heaven, Michael Landon, he had the stuff, the stuff of angels. We all have some magical stuff within us. Maybe not quite what Michael Landon had, but we all do have an ability to have faith in God's children and treating each one as truly a child of God. We all have that ability within us to do that. And if we do that, then we would have an effect on people like Sparky here. Sparky was somebody who was a low-income person that I knew in, in uh, Coffersville, Indiana, and she had a little bit of an artistic talent. And that, this represented the work that we were doing together to make a difference in the world. And she had this up on a, a wall. Um, this is another low-income person from where I used to work. And she's receiving a $500 check from a local business to start a food bank. So in our community, low-income people started a food bank and ran it themselves because they didn't think they were treated with dignity and respect by the other food bank in town. This is that same group of low-income people marching in a Christmas parade. Now, you can see by looking at the truck, that's not a fancy truck. You can look at the signage on the front, nothing fancy about that. But they thought it was important to be in the parade so people would know what they're up to. And this is a gal I used to mentor. And you could tell by her strut that she's got the stuff, if you will, the spark, if you will. She's empowered. This is how they did it. The trailer from Murphy's, uh, United States Cellular provided their sponsorship to be in the parade. So these are some quotes from people that were touched by the work that we were doing. It makes all the difference when, when people believe in you enough to make you believe in yourself. Their caring worked. I did it. People were believing in an ability that I didn't see. If he saw something I didn't see, it must be there because I trust his judgment. This is, this is from a gal who I first met, and what impressed me about how intelligent she was was how well she could describe her diagnosis in a mental health. Uh, she had a mental health condition, depression, and she had such an articulate way of describing it. At the time, I was taking a course on how you diagnose people, and she was like textbook. So my conclusion about her was she's smart. Now, this is a superhero. This was in a newsletter, low-income people started in another community. And, the, and that, again, represents the, the spark, if you will, the Superman. So what began with one person with a personal vision, made a commitment to bring it into reality, it, over a period of, of seven years involved literally hundreds of community volunteers and affected the lives of hundreds of clients. And it was all about re bringing a vision into reality, a system that really works for everyone by working together to make a difference, to lift people up.
Here in Columbus, we had the Wheels to Work program, and I was privileged enough to be involved in starting that. And it's not something that's very alive and kicking today, but it is still alive. And the reason I say it's not very alive and kicking is most of you probably have not heard anything recently about the Wheels to Work program, but it is still alive. And uh, San Susie was a superhero for that program because when San Susie used to get cars and they had a choice of selling the car and using it to make their organization run, she thought it was more important that someone who was low income, that was, that was working, that needed a car for transportation, she thought it was more, in, more important to let them get that car than to sell it herself and use, use the proceeds for her organization. Now, again, you can see that superhero, that uplifting, that empowerment experience when you look at this picture. And to someone who's on public assistance, when you donate a vehicle for someone else to be able to, to have reliable transportation, you, in fact, in their eyes, are a superhero. So the program does exist today. There is a need for, for donated cars. There may be somebody in the room that has a car that you'd like to donate. And we can talk afterwards if you, if you know somebody that, is, that has a car. Um. So Helen Keller once said, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing. I invite you to join in this daring adventure. And in fact, I know that you're already in this daring adventure. And I applaud you for the work that you're already doing. So I may be asking nothing new of you other than to simply know that there are others that are outside of these, the walls of this church that are involved in the work with you, that there's a growing number of us, such as Dee. They're involved in this work together, and we applaud you for the work you're doing. So just different thoughts. Continue to be a fan in the stands for people that are in your church's neighborhood that you already include among you, people that are here today in this room. Um, Continue to grow your church with new members in your own neighborhood. Utilize your network to support someone. Persuade your employer to get involved in the Barthelme County Works Program. This is a new program in our community. United Way is leading the, the initiative. And the idea is to help people that are on assistance that want to better themselves to be able to get a better paying job and eventually become self-sufficient. Maybe not the first job, but maybe the second or the third will get them to a place of self-sufficiency if they see it as a journey and continue to develop their skills. I'm going to share with you a, uh, a success story. It's a handout that you'll take with you. And we could use more success stories publicized in this community because what happens when you have a, a success story in the newspaper, it brings to life that, yeah, there are people out there that are, that are success stories. You know, the CEO of Cummins, when he was growing up, he, he grew up in poverty. The CEO of Cummins, that talks, that, that's an example of what's possible. Um, I know Eric's involved already as a uh, mentor in... Uh, in iGrad, and uh, there's always room for more people to participate in iGrad. They have both mentors and tutors, people are, that are struggling to get through school. They could use some support of either tutor or mentor. There's, there's a program to match people up. And uh, there's also McDowell with, that uh, is working with people to get their GEDs and, and learn to read and learn to learn math skills. Uh, there's a new program that Love Chapel started where they, they want a, a whole team of people from a church to adopt somebody as a mentor, so like a team of 10 to 12 people, this church would be great for that. In fact, you guys are already doing that. Uh, but there could be somebody from Love Chapel you guys could support. Um, and maybe the most important thing is to recognize that what you're already doing is a part of a greater plan, one that includes people of faith from other churches 
in our community, make, want, striving to make a difference in this world. So, open to questions, comments, thoughts? Anybody? Everybody? Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. And, and if we, in fact, treated everyone as if they truly were Christ, just the experience of them getting that way of being treated lifts them up. So it has to do with how we see people and how we treat people. And sometimes when we have the very best of intentions, because we are so arrogant ourselves, that it looks like we're looking down upon them and patting them on the head. So part of it has to do with looking at people as equals as opposed to looking at yourself as being better than somebody else. Uh, so, it, so, so it's kind of tricky. But uh, what I'm talking about, though, is it's not just with people that are low income. It's each, each every, every time you interact with anybody, you have, you have the opportunity of having three effects. Either you lift them up, you push them down, or you have no effect. Those are the three options. So it, it's, it's true when you're working with somebody who's low income, but it's also true when you're working with a coworker. Either we lift people up, we push them down, and by the way, uh, lifting people up can be tricky. Uh, uh, one of my mentors once called me a covert wimp. And that, in, my, in, in our relationship, because we had a relationship, actually was one of the most helpful things he ever did for me. At the time he called me a covert wimp, I was whining that I was not able to build a relationship with the county prosecutor because he wasn't returning my phone calls, he wasn't responding to my emails. And he called me a covert wimp, which what all that did was it challenged me to revisit what's possible and to re-engage. And before I left that county, that prosecutor was my partner, and he wrote a, a, a glowing letter about the work we were doing together. So it came out of a openness of what's possible. It came out of a willingness to reach out, even though um, the first couple times somebody didn't respond. In fact, it was a lot more than a couple. Great question, though. I'm not sure. Did I answer it well enough? Well, it, it's true that sometimes uh, things don't always work out the way we would hope, but the nice thing about the program was in order to get a car, you had to be involved in a self-sufficiency program. You had to be do taking steps to better yourself. And so it actually became, if I was to 
take steps myself like they did, maybe I can get a car too. It became a motivator, can be a motivator. Um, and see, the other side of it, we, do, we didn't talk about this, but if you're on public assistance and you get a job tomorrow and you're, you're receiving food stamps and you're receiving housing, for every $3 you earn, you lose a dollar in food stamps, you lose a dollar in housing, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, am I any better off than I would have been if I didn't take this job at all? So there are things that are disincentives. They, weren't, they are not intended to be disincentives, but there are things that are disincentives about the system as it exists today. Not intentional, but they do. Whereas the wheels to work, you've got to be working, you've got to have a job, you have to have, have it for at least 30 days, you've got to be in a program to try to better yourself to, to become self-sufficient. So you've got, you're setting things up to where in order to get, you've got to do. Does that make sense? Um, yes. Okay. Parents need to get their kids. Thank you. Yeah. Other questions? I see somebody going like this, but that's not, that's just a parent going like this. <laughs> Any other questions, comments? I, yes. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you what I've done is I don't give up on people. I'm patient. I'm persistent. The gal that I had a six-year relationship with as a mentor, before, we be before she became someone who I mentored, I asked her at least a half a dozen times and probably more to do this or do that. We had workshops. We brought in uh, somebody trained in Stephen Covey's a Seven Habits workshop. We brought in a nationally renowned speaker. We had mentoring training. And it was like the seventh or eighth time I approached her, and she used to always just walk right by me and not stop and just, you know, keep going, leave me alone, I'm not interested. But the seventh or eighth time, she suddenly stopped, she looked at me right in the face, and she said, I will if you'll be my mentor. So I don't give up on people. And, again, it, it goes back to look, they look at the world through lenses, too, just like we do. And we've got to do some things that cause them to, to look at things differently. And patience and persistence is part of that. And if, if you gave me an opportunity, I would be pleased to speak to a, a group of folks that were homeless. Um, if you could get me in, as an audience with them, I would love to do it. Yes, thank you. What else? Yes. She started, started a food bank. Yes, there are actually about a dozen working together.
you, you bring you bring up a great point that yeah Yeah, we, we, we reinforce that relationship that we're better than them because we're giving them things or other things that are non-functional or, or by the, the – we wouldn't buy, buy that food and take it to our house, but we'd give it to them. Yeah. It's hard to reach people. People can be hard to reach, and, and the further the further along they are in, in being resigned and having given up on their ability to be successful and that the world cares about them, the harder they are to reach. That's true. And they're still reachable, though. Again, uh, patience, persistence, um, they're, they're, all, they're all still children of God, and they may be out of touch with that. But again, there's people in this church that are great role models for that possibility of what's possible right here in this church that you guys are supporting already. Yes. And it, it's a great question, and again, what you guys already do that's a great model for what you can do is bring people in not just for help one time, but bring them and involve them in your membership and get them involved in the church and get them to do things that are part of the church so they become a contributing part. And then the more you're around people, the more you influence them, and the more actually they influence you in turn as well. And then you begin to see the world from how they see things, and they see the world from how you see things. And then the bridge occurs which allows other things to happen. But it's not just from giving people handouts. It's got to go beyond that. It's got to be about forming relationships, about going on a, a walk, if you will. Um, I, I, I use that word. I, I've, I've heard that word around here before. It's really about walking with people. What else? Anybody? I Yes. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. You're asking a very great question, and it begins by seeing that we do see things as if we're separate from, but we really are all one body, and we are really of one, of one being. And there are some that are of other faiths, and yet there are things we have in common with other faiths, uh, things that we have in common, of, and, and so we can accept someone of another faith and as long as we are on common values that do good for the communities. And our and our country and our world, um, but again, it starts with being aware that you do look at the world through filters, and that we don't have to stay stuck in the filters that we happen to be looking at. Great questions! You guys have been a great audience, and again, I applaud you, and I thank my cohort from First Presbyterian Church. This makes it an official mission church of our church to be here today. Thank you, D. Thank you all very much. He kept looking at me, so I got to say this big piece, because I don't, some of you understand, you really don't know how much you mean to me and how much you've created this being that's standing here to do exactly what he's done, and each of us can do that with each other. Um, there, it, it's important that we break barriers and that we are kingdom builders and bridge builders amongst us no matter what level of society we live at. And to gather that and gain that is going to be between you and God because ultimately that's the answer, right? Christ is our example to do it here in the world. Thanks, Keith. Love you guys. See you later.